What does a post-Roe America look like? That's my topic today. I'm joined by Josh Brom. Stay tuned. Hi, folks. My name is Cam. I am the host of the Pro-Life Guys podcast, a show dedicated to equipping you with the tools that you need to have compassionate and compelling conversations about abortion so that we can change minds, save lives, and transform our culture. As I mentioned off the top, we are living in a post-Roe world. This dropped over six months ago now. We've had our first March for Life since the overturning of Roe versus Wade through the Dobbs decision. We've seen an, an incredible amount of pro-life and pro-abortion um, action since then. We, we've seen constitutional amendments for and against. We've seen states pass restrictive legislation. We've, we've seen states uh, maintain their pro-abortion status quo. What I'm going to talk to Josh Brom from Equal Rights Institute about today is a joint statement that he, together with my colleague Jonathan Van Maren, our communications director at CCBR, um, Eric Scheidler, um, president of the Pro-Life Action League, who you've heard um, on the show before, and Dr. Charles Camosi, um, worked together on a joint statement as to how we can start progressing into a pro uh, a post row world. I think it's a really fascinating joint statement. I'm sure it's going to set off alarm bells for some people. Um, for other people, it may not go far enough. And yet I think that um, you will be very, very impressed, I hope, surprised potentially with my conversation with, with Josh. But without further ado, here's my conversation with Josh Brown of the Equal Rights Institute um, pertaining to this joint statement that he, three others, um, developed and hundreds of pro-life leaders and pro-lifers across America and around the world have all signed on to. All right, Josh, thanks so much for taking the time to join the show. How are you? I'm good. It's uh, it's busy. It's a busy time to be working in the pro-life movement. How are you? <laughs> I, I am good, too. I feel like the the idea of a down season in the pro-life movement is is decreasing over and over and over. And there's no such thing as down right. season. You've got summer blitzes. You've got fundraising season. You've got year, uh, months of prep, all that kind of thing. I know that you've got some travel coming up here. Yep. Um, so I appreciate you taking the time to dive in dive into this really cool joint statement that a number of uh, a huge number now of pro-life organizations have um, signed on to. And while I want to get into the substance in a, a moment or two here, I want you to walk me through the the origins of this. Reading the, the yeah. list of primary contributors, you've got yourself, you've got Eric Scheidler, you've got uh, my colleague, Jonathan Van Maren at Canadian Center for Bioethical Reform. Um, and I know that I'm missing one, Charles. Professor um, Charles Camosi. Yes. yes. So the four of you coming together, I know there's a lot of other contributors. Tell me about the origins of this um, joint statement that, that I think is really exciting and absolutely necessary for the pro-life movement in a post-Row America. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks for the question. And uh, and it's, it's fun because we almost never get asked about how this thing happened. And it was a really cool, uh, no pun intended, joint effort. Uh, and, and that often doesn't happen. Like this was a really, really sweet, uh, collaborative thing that, that happened. But I guess probably for me, it started, you know, well before Dobbs, uh, just, I've been thinking more and more about how can the pro-life movement show the rest of the country that we really care about women. And, and when, when the Dobbs rural arguments happened and we were listening and we like many, you know, people who were analyzing it were like, I think 
I know where this is going. It's like, this is going to be a pro-life victory. It's just a question of what, how big the victory is going to be kind of a thing. And so then really started to think, okay, what, what does that look like? Um, I was really concerned about the timing of, of Dobbs. So this is kind of like what was going on for, for me is obviously we're all very, very happy that Roe is overturned. Okay. A very, very wonderful thing. A lot of babies being, being saved and, and all of that. But uh, historically speaking, uh, typically speaking, culture doesn't move a lot further ahead than laws and laws doesn't go and laws don't go a lot further ahead than culture. They usually one leaves the other and and sometimes it's culture and sometimes it's law. But a lot of times when one gets way in front of the other, it doesn't last as long. It's not as stable. So like prohibition is kind of like a classic example of that, where a lot of the country was becoming pretty pro, like, let's ban hard liquor because it had become this, like, cultural systemic problem that all these guys would work these horrible factory jobs, and after 12 hours, they go to the bar with their buddies, they would get super drunk, and then they get home and they're beating their wives and our kids. So, like, there's a lot of, like, okay, we need to do something here. And then in the laws, they banned beer and wine, too, which is, like, a lot of people are like, why, 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 we didn't talk about that. And so, and it didn't last a real long time. And so, I was concerned just knowing basically, you know, if you ever have to summarize all the opinion polls on abortion for like the last 20, 30 years, there's basically two simultaneous things going on. Is one, a majority of the country has, you know, for a long time believed that at least first trimester abortion should be generally available. Like most people don't want like, you know, any states to ban all the abortions. At the same time, the country is generally for there being more restrictions than there have been even in America, not to mention you know, Canada. You guys have your own, your own problems. Uh, but even in America, like, like so, so that's why a lot of times like the incremental legislation would help get kind of more people to see, okay, maybe there's, there, there's some common sense stuff going on here. So thinking about, okay, I think I know where Dobbs is going to go because this has been the Supreme Court chess game being played now for 45 years, you know, it, just about the abortion issue. Then that means that probably if it goes our way, then we're going to go way further than culture is ready for. And so what does that mean? How do we make that last longer? And one of those things was, okay, how are we going to show a culture that believes that we don't care about women, that we only care about babies? How do we show them? And the obvious pro-life answer, and, we, and, we, and, and I think we referenced this maybe even in the joint statement. If not, we, we did in, in a different article. Of course, pregnancy centers. Like, I speak for pregnancy centers all the time. I don't know how many, I would love to know how many tens or hundreds of millions of dollars have gone into pregnancy centers across the country for the last 45 years from wonderful pro-life people. Generally speaking, these are great centers. There's some, some kind of wonky ones on the, on, on the fringes that embarrass us. But most of it, at least by this point, like, they're good. They're under Karen, they're, they're under Karen Ed and Heartbeat and things like that. Like, there's a lot of quality control going on. Having said that, we know there's an epistemological problem about knowledge here. We know about pregnancy centers. The other side, either they have no idea that they exist or they have probably bought into the, this myth that these are all like these fake clinics that are telling lies to, to, to women. And so that's not going to do it. It should, but it's not. So that takes us to last January at the March for Life or March for Life week. Uh, I was hanging out with my good friend Eric Scheidler at the 
Renaissance Hotel where like all the pro-lifers kind of, you know, uh, network and talk and, and kind of my staff and his staff, we just sat down to talk for a few hours about um, kind of the state of the pro-life movement. And I don't even know who was starting to talk about kind of the idea of government programs first. Uh, it it might have just been, you know, it, it, it very well could be Eric. I don't know. But we just kind of started like brainstorming what could it look like, you know, if the pro-life movement were willing to get behind some real government policies that would support women, knowing that would be a hard pill to swallow for a lot of political conservatives. Um, and and just kind of thinking through those those things. And then Eric uh, got Jonathan. I think he was talking to Jonathan, like on this, like well, then he called Jonathan, and they, they and they talked, and then he talked to Kamosi, and they had a great conversation, and then we all started having these Zoom calls and kind of brainstorming this this problem and what would be a solution to it, which ultimately uh, came to the joint statement that we published. Love it. I, I want to mine in there a little bit deeper because yeah. I, as I'm sure that you, I, I want to kind of get into the nuts and bolts of this as well, because I'm sure that this wasn't a slam dunk. You all agree entirely politically on everything. And so this was written up in yeah. on a napkin in the coffee shop kind of thing. I, I think often of one of my best friends in the pro-life movement, Cam Wilson. Um, he worked with me at CSPR for a little while. He is like, Cam, I love you to bits. One of the most radical libertarians that I've ever met. <laughs> and yeah. I, I grew up in, in Victoria, BC, which is like the Seattle of Canada kind of thing. And I feel like apart from like abortion, euthanasia, whatever, like I am about as far fiscally liberal as you can get. Like, you know what? Mm -hmm. I, I appreciate that with a thriving church, government programming will not be necessary. Do we have a thriving church in Canada, let alone most of the rest of the world? Probably not. So we're going right. to need something. And so the two of us, like these completely contradictory, um, contradictory financial policy opinions and whatnot. Um, was there any of that in, in those conversations? Like, how did you find a, a balanced approach to that pill of yeah. government programming slash libertarian i i know that obviously there's a wide range of beliefs within the pro-life yeah. movement was that difficult amongst the four of you or did that come fairly naturally what kind of went yeah. in towards this makes sense as a statement not because everyone's going to agree with it or like it but rather because there's data behind it there's logic behind it that kind of thing yeah that's a great question so it was i, I think it was relatively easy for the four of us to get on the same page as far as like generally where we wanted to go. It was more like the how, the nuts and bolts that we had a lot of brainstorming. But but to be fair, like, so we, we love that there was political uh, diversity among these these four. And and I just want to just, I was going to say, this, you know, one more time and I'm just going to stop because then it becomes like cumbersome. But while there are these kind of four, you know, pro-life horsemen of the apocalypse thing, uh, there are staff behind us, you know, Emily and Andrew on my team did some really great editing work on what became the joint statement. Eric had at least one or two staff people also helping with that. Anyway, all that to say, the four of us were the ones kind of doing a lot, a, a, a lot of the meetings. And I think by the time we were all together, there was already some common ground there about the concept of being okay with at least certain kinds of government policies. Like probably that had basically happened, you know, Eric with each of us, you know, in these kind of meetings. And then we kind of all came together already with some, with, with some common ground, even though there is this kind of political uh, diversity among us. And so then it was just more like, uh, what would that look like? What studies are there kind of on this? And, and that's hard. The studies on this are, are, can be pretty tricky to, to parse out. 
and uh, and what would it look like uh, knowing kind of probably what some of the response was going to be, what the pushback uh, w- would be. So we talked a lot about um, about that. So like ultimately, you know, we eventually come to think, OK, joint statements, the way to go. There were multiple drafts that that happened. And a lot of that was just trying to figure, you know, you know, th- th- this thing, this paragraph sounds super conservative and this paragraph is going to freak out the conservatives, you know, just like trying to kind of walk a very fine line. And I think we did. And the evidence for that is, is I know you haven't asked me about the response yet, but just one kind of fun, uh, uh, well, interesting uh, thing that we observed was, you know, we got a lot of people, a lot of pro-life leaders to sign it and, and we had reached out to them be- before this got published. But of course, as you can imagine, there were several who who didn't, who who refused to. And generally speaking, there were two reasons for a pro-life leader to refuse to sign it. Either they were, uh, you know, kind of more on the left side of politics and they felt like it was too right wing. Or they were on the right side of politics and they felt like it was too left wing. Like there was like literally the same kind of mirroring thing happening simultaneously was kind of felt like, that feels like a good compromise, right? Like compromise when like no one's happy kind of a thing. Like that felt like maybe we'd we'd found this balance that we knew we weren't going to get the hard right or the hard left on board with for multiple reasons. But it's like, can we create a wide enough net here without totally watering down this entire thing. Like, can we still be making a, a, a substantive statement with like real ideas and kind of tipping the pro-life movement a direction? Like I think of trajectory. So I mean, like, I don't know if you're into Apollo 13, but like it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Oh yeah, okay. So like, if you think of that, that trajectory thing where it's like, it's literally the tiniest, you know, difference at an angle can like completely change the, 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 the trajectory. So I think of this kind of like that is, it's not like we're trying to come into like save or rescue the pro-life movement or something like that. But I do feel like, you know, in a lot of my work for the last almost 20 years now has been like trying to tip the pro-life movement, just like a little bit of a more effective uh, trajectory. And that's what we were trying to do with this. So it was easier than you would expect, but probably that has a lot to do with specifically the people that were involved. I can think of other people we could have invited into that small group and, and it would have been a lot harder. <laughs> Gotcha. Well, and and I think that you've struck a very good balance. And I'm so glad that you brought up Apollo 13, because I can't, can't imagine why somebody wouldn't appreciate that. It, it, we've honestly right. used it as a leadership training resource during our internships, because how they deal with conflict, all that kind of thing. If you haven't seen Apollo 13 with Tom Hanks, absolutely, absolutely do it. Um, incredible story, and, and obviously based on a true story, too. But I digress. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the substance of of this. I'm not going to read it out word for word kind of thing. We're going to drop the the link in the show notes. As you mentioned, it it addresses the fact that there is going to be private support through pregnancy care centers, private Mm -hmm. churches, all that kind of thing. And Lord willing, the the overwhelming support that goes through all of that will make government support redundant and unnecessary and and that kind of thing. the, the way that it's presented, there are kind of six core areas of government involvement. Um, I'll, I'll list them briefly and then kind of maybe if you want to dive into however many you, you think are, are worth expanding upon. But you mentioned accessible, affordable health care, extended tax credits, paid parental leave, flexible work hours, affordable child care, and fully enforced existing prenatal child support laws. And 
whichever ones jump out to you, I would love at some point, if you wouldn't mind touching on that last one, because I feel like that's one of the areas that yeah. the pro-life movement can double down on so much yeah. of like, there is a lot of good infrastructure that simply is not enforced, whether it's prenatal mm -hmm. child support laws, the number of high school girls that talk to me and say like, hey, if I become pregnant, there's no chance my boyfriend is ever going to help out. There's no chance that I'm ever going to get um, alimony or, or, or child support pay or whatever it may be. And so I'm going to be up the creek without a paddle kind of thing. Whether you want to address that one first or whether you just want to mix yeah, that into of, of the six of those, what, what do you think that we need to know? And why do you think these six areas of focus are so relevant and so important? Yeah. Okay. So that's a great question. So let's just talk about the child support thing for, for, for this camp there. Like I am passionate about us figuring out some way to fix the child support system because contrary to popular opinion, even though I'm a pro-life leader, I really do care about women. And it drives me crazy that there are the, all these situations uh, where a woman should be getting financial child support. Like the law's already on her side. She's already, you know, gone through all the work, the, the case, like all of this stuff, it's all set up. And then it's just, it, it sounds from what I can tell, I'm not an expert, but from, but you know, the bit that I've looked into it, it doesn't seem that hard for the guy to just not send the checks, you know? And then it's like, what do you do? And, and it's hard to, or at least it's been hard for people to enforce that, at least if you're the woman. And so that just seems crazy to me. Like, come on, I thought we're trying to support single moms here, which is the whole idea. But what's interesting about the child support thing is the pro-choice side is also seeing the way that pro-lifers are talking about child support because there's a consistency thing there, right? Um, it, we're trying to say when, when, when a pro-choice woman is like, you know, well, the guy can just walk. I'm the one stuck with this. It's like, we're okay, common ground. You are super biologically disadvantaged. I'm sorry. You can blame nature or God or whoever you want to do that. But like, you are right. There is a biological disadvantage here. You don't get to walk away in the way that scummy guys can. So what do we do to try to balance the scales? We try to balance them with child support laws. And so there are certain pro-choice activists and feminists who have started arguing against, like, let's abolish all the child support laws because then they can just say, look, everyone should be able to equally walk away from, I mean, they wouldn't say it that way. They would say to choose whether or not to be a parent or not, or, or something like that, or when to become a parent. Yeah. It's a plan when we become a parent. Like, I wonder if there's some organization that could use that, 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 that idea of planned parenthood. And so they, that's this weird thing going on in the culture. And one of those examples where, at least in America right now still, that's one of those times where if it happens like at an outreach, I kind of hope that their pro-choice people are listening in. Like, I want them to hear the more extreme end of it say, yeah, maybe we just get rid of all the child support laws. Like, that's pretty extreme, uh, but uh, albeit I'll, I'll, I'll give them uh, consistent. And so with the six uh, bullet points, you know, that was part of, you know, what evolved in the draft because at the, originally we were actually less specific than we ended up being. We didn't want to be super specific, partially because we are not experts. We are pro-life, uh, you know, apologists, philosophers. There's a, there's a professor, you know, there's an activist. Like, none of us are true experts at this. We care. We really care. And we, and, and we kind of, we, we have, I think, good reasons for our, you know, the, uh, our soft con conclusion 
which is less about specifics and more about a general thing. Like if, when I've tried to explain to people the underlying premise of this whole thing, and this is, it's not written this way in the joint statement, this is what I've uh, explained. And you kind of actually said it a little bit uh, earlier, is I would love it if the entire need gap, there's all of this need, there are all of these single moms who have all of these, there's a lot of needs there. There's a dollar amount to that, and it's really, really big. My preferred thing would be if that entire gap could be filled with the church, the capital C church. That would be awesome. That would be the church operating arguably as it ought to be, you know? And 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 I've been talking, even before we did the joint statement, I'm just, I've been talking to pastors about, like, we need to get better at like really, really helping the women in your neighborhoods. You guys should be able to be like truly like offering practical, you know, real support. And so the church seems to get better at that, generally speaking, anyway. But it we, we don't fill the gap. And so then you could add charities and pregnancy centers and stuff. And I think that still doesn't fill the gap. That might fill a big part of it. But I, the premise is that there is still some gap left that will only be filled by by some kind of government program, some kind of a, you know, if you are in this kind of a situation, then culturally we want to provide some support and this is how we're going to do it. And so for me, I'm still not an expert on all of the the like different ways that 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 could, you know, uh, go. So you've got Mitt Romney has a plan that like David France has talked about a lot. And from the the bit that I've heard about it, it sounds great. You know, it sounds pro-life because it's kind of this idea of providing support even before birth. Like you're you're helping with the prenatal, uh, you know, uh, appointments and things like that. Like that's super pro-life. But I'm open to clever economists or, or, or whoever is saying, okay, of those six things, I think four of those are great. And I've got, got concerns about these two and here's why. But we could replace them with something better or we could tweak them into something better. Like, I am super open to all of that. I, I'm more wanting to get, especially the, the more conservative end of the pro-life movement to maybe for the first time become open to the idea that maybe some, you know, some government programs like this, at least for single moms, is something worth supporting, even if they are generally opposed to programs like that. Yeah, I, I think that's a brilliant way of putting it. And and in my mind, I, I think this is something of a litmus test as well of like, mm. if if you don't think this is necessary, then why are you worried about it? Like, if you feel as though the church is doing a sufficient job, if you don't feel as though there is a gap, then we, we shouldn't be worried. If we build up a, a $10 million, $100 million reservoir that receives no applications because all the all the support is going through the church, then praise God, that money can yeah. get flooded back to the taxpayer and and we're done with it. We're, we're never, we're not actually taking money out of people's um, pockets. But until we have that, that, that the gaps are there, that, that anybody who does street outreach, I'm, I'm sure that anybody who does pregnancy support, who says like, hey, I wish that, that we could offer that to you, but we haven't had mm -hmm. this donated for ages, or we, we're short on this, short on that. Like, like, I'm sure that anyone who sees that on the front lines will see that there are gaps. And I think that this can be kind of the throwing down of the gauntlet towards the church mm -hmm. as well, that like, you know what, this is what's necessary. Make yeah. it unnecessary. Make it unnecessary. If that takes one I year or if that, that. takes a hundred years, then so be it. But it's necessary right now. And that yeah. shows the not necessarily the failings of the church, but I think that the it shows the weakness of the church at the very least. It's not a matter of 
that the church has their priorities wrong, but rather that maybe the church isn't strong enough. Maybe the church has not prioritized the support of their neighborhood, their their community, that kind of thing nearly I enough. I think so that's I, what's happening a lot of times. So, so I've been part of a couple of, of church plants. Yeah. And I'm going to guess that most pastors who have ever planted a church have said something like this, at least any time in the last, you know, century. They've probably said something like, you know, to their core group that they're going to start this thing. We're going to be in the neighborhoods, guys. Guys, we're going to be right here. We're going to be a known entity. We are going to be the, the the hands and feet of Christ to the, you know, outsiders, the, the unsaved here, yeah. all of that, the marginalized, all of that, the widows and orphans, you know, like all of that. We're going we're gonna to do that. And I think generally like they mean that when they say that we all you know especially like visionary types who start things like churches and nonprofits we've got big visions but then real life happens you know like i have this awesome you know uh, equip for life academy course that we've been making for religious high schools and i have all this video to edit and it's going to be awesome and probably save a ton of lives but also this week I'm having to try to find a new administrative assistant. Like, that's really thrown things off. Like, there's just yeah. like all of those things, which is why it's actually you need an administrator if you're a visionary to like help you stay on track with things. Which is, so this is, this is not great. So like, that's this thing. And I think as the church grows, any given church kind of grows, like the administration, so all the stuff it takes to run a church, it's a lot. Just dealing with your own sheep, talk to any pastor, it's a lot. And so I have very, I have a really uh, you know, charitable uh, kind of attitude towards the pastors that aren't doing that. But I do want to challenge them um, to do it more. I remember uh, I was talking, uh, so I, I, this last, well, last year, <laughs> I'm losing track of time. This is, I think, I think ever since COVID, I don't even know what, what year it is now. Some, I, I did multiple things in 2022 where I would go out and speak for maybe a pregnancy center and they would have set up like a pastor, like a private pastor meeting thing. Uh, and sometimes that's just like regular for them, or, or sometimes I, I ask. And this was part of what I was talking about. I was talking about the, the pastor pledge uh, that we have. People can look that up on our website where we're trying to convince pastors to make their churches safer places for uh, unwed uh, moms. And then I was, we were talking about this. This was even before the joint statement was a thing, just kind of talking about like this general need for the church to do a better job of being hands and feet in their neighborhoods, especially in states where abortion is about to become a lot less available all of a sudden. And, uh, and, and so really interesting conversations have happened, but I'll never forget this, this one time, and this is, I think, goes to show how stark the problem is. I'm in a room, there's probably 50 or 60 pastors in this, in this little church. There are a few youth pastors in there too. And we're, I, I've kind of you know, set this up. I've talked about the problem. I've opened it up to kind of an open discussion. There's this one pastor there who was clearly the pastor of the pastors. Like he was maybe the oldest there. He seemed the wisest. He had an amazing voice. Like he should be doing voiceovers like on the side. He's like, just, you can't not listen to him kind of a thing. And, and I loved it. Anytime he has something to say, because there was always gold, right? And towards the end of the meeting, he raised his hand again. And he said, all right, Josh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like what you are wanting to see happen is an entire culture change, a cultural shift in, in Christendom. And I said, yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. And he said, okay, here's a problem. He said, in my church, 
I get complaints if the worship music is three decibels too loud. So how how am I supposed to convince people to like re like you know like like do the kinds of things that you're talking about? They don't even like loud worship music, or maybe they don't like the song choices or whatever. Like I've been on worship teams since I was eleven, so I've been around the worship wars, and there's 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 so many different worship wars, and I, so I understand where he's coming from, and, and my response. Uh, it, to him was, and it is still, I think the church or Christians are going to have to uh, become used to being a little less comfortable. And I don't know all of exactly what that looks like. Um, I'm trying to figure that out. I'm having conversations with people behind the scenes. I'm trying to kind of expand, like, you know, the way that I think about kind of how that can look, uh, you know, uh, practically. But it's pretty obvious to me that if the church is going to become more effective at serving people who are hard to serve, and generally speaking, non-theists, you know, single moms who are maybe really ticked off that abortion is not available in their state anyway, like those are pretty hard people to serve. So we're going to have to be willing to get a bit less comfortable uh, than we have become used to. And I would just like people to be praying about that and, and you know, see if the Holy Spirit kind of pricks your conscience about that. Um, if, if you're, you know, a, a, a theist of some sort, and if you have great ideas of practically how that can, uh, how that can happen, I'm interested. I can tell you one example that, 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 that I've heard that was really cool. Now I just feel like I'm monologuing at you, but I've got all these things. Uh, so I was talking to one of my pastors a, 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 about this. And uh, he's a really, really into evangelism, like the like the real like street evangelism, not the kind of street evangelism that a lot of people think of when they hear that phrase, like very relational version of street evangelism. Um, but but going out there, I really appreciate him, 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 him a lot. And so he was telling me that he's been looking into something uh, called that's sometimes being called like micro churches. So there's a few churches, uh, there's like one in Alabama and there's one in like New Jersey or something like that. I, I still need to track them down and just, and just ask them a bunch of questions. But supposedly what they've done is kind of said, we're going to focus our evangelistic ministry on apartments. Um, apparently some study has indicated that apartment complexes in America are the least churched place like that you can live. Like there's like the, the, the of all the different kind of, you know, categories People who live in apartment buildings, it's like yeah, 5% go to church or something, so, so something really extreme like that. And so there's a few churches who have basically sent a couple or a couple of couples uh, or maybe a few families to go and like, they're going to live in this given apartment complex. And it's like, this is now where you are going to try to be the hands and feet of Christ. And the point, and this is what makes it different than stuff like this in the past, the point is not to convert as many people as fast as you can so you can get them back into our four walls, and then they start tithing, and then and, and things grow, and, and hopefully, you know, hopefully they grow, and wonderful things happen. Our numbers look good. Like, it's not about that. It's like, no, stay there. Be the church there. What does that look like there? And, you know, it, it just makes me think of, of my friend Lauren at, at POW, the Progressive Anti-Abortion Uprising. It's like the, far, the furthest left abortion, uh, uh, I was like a pro-life group that there 
is, as far as, as I can tell. And I'm, and I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm good friends with their executive director. I love that they exist. Of course, we don't agree on everything, but it's fine. Like I just love more diversity in the pro-life movement. I'm super happy. Right. And, and Lauren, I remember talking to, 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 uh, uh I'm pretty sure it was Lauren on, on their staff who had mentioned one time that she sort of like has like a micro pregnancy center in her apartment. Like the, her, her apartment complex knows if you get pregnant, go talk to Lauren in 3B or whatever. She can help you. Like, that's amazing. Like, that's like, that, that feels more like early church or more like, you know, what does it look like to be really connecting and not just you know, let's, let's put a bunch of like things that hang on doors about like our church this Easter. You should come check out our church. You know, like, I kind of like, okay, fine. But I'd rather see, like, can you show them how much you care about them first? And then maybe down the road, you know, you guys can talk about that stuff. So there's so much there that there's so much here to be brainstormed and figured out and tested and tried. We are on the cusp of something here but it could only be for good, I think. And that's exciting for me. Absolutely. And that, friends, is why we're going to drop an administrator um, application link in our show notes here <laughs> so that you can help Josh Brom um, expand in this creativity, because that's what we need. This is what we need we in do? the pro-life movement, creative solutions to these legitimate problems so that people don't feel like the solution to the problem is killing their preborn child. Something that we talk yeah. ad nauseum about in our workshops in our activism and everything we get that there are major problems we don't solve those problems by killing pre-born children but we can't stop there we can't just say yeah you've got a problem and no you can't do that we have to be able to take that next step and that's going to be where the mobilization of the masses that's where different people with different skill sets different opportunities different everything are yeah. going to be able to make tremendous change in our movement um and so let's empower them and and let's empower them to explore what's going to make sense for their area for their region for who they are that kind of thing like that makes a tremendous amount of sense. Um, yeah. And I will pray diligently that you get an administrator at some point. Friends, Thank check you. that out because Josh needs it. Um, I really do. Let's dive into the response to yeah. this joint statement because I'm, I'm sure that it's been somewhat mixed. I uh, being So I'm on it right now. Um, mm -hmm. There's a ton of co-signers, which is really, really encouraging. Some very prominent names, some very impressive people, yeah. not only, and, and those are just the the, very high level people. I'm sure that there's hundreds more. What has the response been like, generally speaking? And then are there some kind of encouraging, discouraging, funny stories that have come out of this as well? Because I'm sure there's at least a few of those. <laughs> that is a great open question, Kim. Um, so yes. Uh, so generally speaking, I we were all, I think, surprised by how positive the response generally was. So the good news first. So generally speaking, we didn't actually get as much pushback as we expected. I don't know how much of that is us writing it really well, like trying to like walk that line really well. Like I, it would be really interesting to be able to live in multiple universes and find out what would have what would have been different if we had left that kind of extra conservative paragraph in or left that kind of extra not so conservative paragraph. Like that would be really interesting to find out. Um, but generally speaking, there was there there was a lot of positive response. I think uh, we were the most pleasantly surprised by, you know, while I said earlier, and 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 I'll go into this a little bit more uh, in, in a second. There there's some people kind of, you know, I, I don't want to say they're hard right or hard left, like they can plant themselves wherever they 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 would on the political spectrum. But them feeling like it was either too conservative or not conservative enough, kind of a thing. Um, there were some pretty 
prominent conservative thinkers and people on the left as well that did sign it. So, you know, uh, off off the top of my head, and, and this is not telling any stories out of school, because just thinking about like, publicly speaking, like the kind of pro-life leaders, for example, that really supported President Trump. So if you think Kristen Hawkins and, and, and Laura Musica were two pro-life leaders that were that were very, very supportive of, 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 you know, maybe not everything that he believes or does or says or anything like that. I'm not going to quote, but just they were supporting people uh, to, to be pro, you know, let's, 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 let's be voting a Republican on, on those tickets. And they both signed it. And some of us weren't expecting that, you know, and then, and you've got Teresa from, from uh, POW, from Progressive Anti-Abortion Uprising, all that, you know, a bunch of people from POW, Rehumanize, you know, some of the more left-leaning pro-life groups uh, were excited to sign it too. So, you know, the fact that there was so many yeses, you've got, you know, Abby Johnson on there, you've just got a lot of different kinds of names on there. Um, uh, Russell Moore is, is, is maybe the biggest name uh, uh, on there. Like that was really encouraging. As far as uh, discouraged responses, um, I want to, I want to, uh, I'm going to steal man the conservative response because uh, there's a really interesting one that has happened that I think is really understandable when you factor in like what have things been like for the pro-life movement for the last, let's say, 10 years-ish. For some conservatives, and, 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 I'm, and I'm thinking of one specifically who wrote me a really long email and, and we're friends, like, I know he likes me. It wasn't like, it wasn't one, it wasn't one of those emails where it's like, oh my gosh. Uh, it was, you know, it was kind of one of those like, you know, iron sharpens iron, loving pushback, uh, kind of, but, but long uh, kinds of emails. And, and I think the main, I, 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 I was so glad that he wrote it to me because it's like, I think this is going on for probably a lot of pro-life conservatives when they read it. So let's step back at a meta level. There has been, you know, one of many, many internal debates in the pro-life movement has been related to um, sometimes people use phrases like consistent life ethic or whole life, things, things like that. And you've got one side, you know, at least like the, the, the extreme end of one side would be like, if you do not support all of the, if you don't have the right positions on all of these issues on, you know, capital punishment is a pretty obvious one. Euthanasia is a pretty obvious one. But then you've got, you know, climate change, deforestation, animal rights, like a lot of these different things, then you're not pro-life. And like those lists are all different <laughs> depending on who's, who's making the list. Um, and it becomes this really easy way for anyone to dismiss any given pro-life where they can just say, you know, and, and, and some would even, and, and some even do this where they're, they're like, I can check all of these boxes, except I'm not anti-abortion, but I am more pro-life than you because I've got nine out of 10 on here and you only have three out of 10 or, or whatever that is. And which is, which is kind of ridiculous. So that's at one extreme end. On the other extreme end, you've got people who are so laser focused on, on, you know, trying to persuade the culture that specifically abortion is wrong and ought to be illegal, that I think they sometimes do a, 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 a weak job, if any, of, of finding common ground on any of those issues. And uh, a lot of times, you know, at ERI, when we see things like that, we want to try to figure out, like, is there like a more nuanced 
middle option here. Um, not just to, you know, sometimes you shouldn't be going for the middle. Like, you know, if you're, you know, uh, you know, racism, you don't want to have like the, the middle ground position on racism or something like that. But sometimes something like this, um, this is where we are on, on abortion victim photography, right? Like we are kind of somewhere in the middle where, you know, there are some people who are really opposed to them and most of those people have never used them. And then you've got people who kind of feel like you are not doing good pro-life outreach if you don't have them. Uh, on on a, a, a relatively large uh, sign, and then you've got us in the middle, uh, or somewhere maybe. Uh, well, I mean, you could, I guess you could say whether it's not in the middle, but you know, we're like we see these as really important. We have a ton of experience using them, which most groups who don't use them on signs they they don't have that. Like I have a, so many hundreds of hours under my belt of hanging out with Justice for All and CBR and and groups like that. Uh, doing that thing. I've seen the pros and the cons, and now kind of we use them in a brochure. We use them with consent. It's a different thing. There's good arguments against it. We could do that whole debate in another podcast if you want. But I'm saying like, that's kind of a, a, an, an example of us kind of trying to figure like, what, what would be like a some, somewhere kind of nuanced in the middle here? And I think there's something like that with the whole life thing, where I want to say, okay, of course you can be pro-life, if you don't agree with some of those other things that are typically on those lists. And I don't love the idea of the word pro-life kind of changing definition. Like, I mean, the, the labels are all somewhat unhelpful at this point. No, no one likes any of the labels and people are too complicated for the labels that we give them. But language is what language is and we have to use them sometimes. And so like that, that's this tricky thing, right? I want to say you can be pro-life. You can be totally pro-life if you're only anti-abortion and you don't care about these other things. And yet I would like you as like a healthy, uh, holistic person to think about these other issues. Don't be like, I like not only a single issue voter, but like a single issue thinker where it's like, I'm, I, I don't, I don't, I don't even need to have a position on any of these things because it doesn't change whether I'm pro-life. I want to be like, Hey, like I've changed my mind on a bunch of those things in that list. And obviously it's possible that I've gone from like right position to wrong position. I don't think so, but like that's, that's possible. But assuming that's not what's happened, then I am glad that's happened. I am, I am arguably a healthier person for having gone through a process of examining my views or examining the views that I kind of grew up with or were kind of, you know, indoctrinated into me by all the types of people that, you know, indoctrinate children. Like, that's just like, that's how things go, right? We are all teaching children things uh, and kind of rethinking those things. And then I've got so much wonderful common ground I can find at outreaches. Like, I am the one a lot of times bringing up some of these issues with the pro-choice person because I'm, I'm like, I don't want them to not say it because then I don't get this chance for common ground. Like, it's one of the most effective things I ever do in a dialogue is Let's, I'm going to try to steer the conversation or briefly just make a little side comment or something that is what we call the selfless virtue signaling uh, because there's selfless virtue signaling where you're trying to do it just for your own sake. And I think that's not good. But I think some, like when we respond with, of course, it is horrible when someone is, is, is raped. Like that is selfless virtue signaling for the sake of someone else who might actually not know that, right? And so I love talking about my more liberal uh, views on a college campus because then they're like, why are you pro-life? Like, then they're really intrigued because clearly I'm not just parroting the GOP party platform or whatever Ben Shapiro says. Like, I'm not. I might agree with him sometimes, 
And I disagree with him a lot of times. And that's, and I think like that's a good thing. And so all that to say, I think for some people on the right who read the joint statement, they understandably saw like the list of, of, of those things that we're talking about. And are like, this feels like that whole, whole life, consistent life ethic thing. And they're going to say, I'm not pro-life unless I sign. Because obviously we're kind of very mildly pressuring people to sign it. We want them to sign it. And they're like, you know, I, what does it mean if I don't sign it? And so like, this is probably like an article or something that I, that, that I ought to write for the sake of those people. But I think that is an understandable reason why, uh, why at least a few people uh, didn't sign it. Mm, that, that makes a ton of sense. And, and I think that that shows the diversity, like you said, in the pro-life movement. I think that that's a, a genuinely a good thing. Yeah. So long as, as I'm sure that you and I would agree and, and everyone else, that it's not a matter of if you don't sign it, then don't do anything. Right. Yeah. That, that it's a matter yes. of, OK, if there's components of this that you find problematic, <sighs> then I respect that. I appreciate that. Find a consistent way that that like, again, this is trying to address the problems in our right. society. If you don't see this is the route towards addressing them, yeah. then let's talk about your roots and, and how we can make that happen, because yeah. there's a massive difference between, you know what, Josh, I don't really like this. What I think that we should be saying is that we're just going to throw people in prison for 25 years if they even think about having an abortion. How about that? Right. Like, yeah. OK, well, that, that's something entirely so, different. This well, those is not are addressing very different positions. Let's have right. that dialogue. <laughs> you it, know? Yes, exactly. <laughs> that, that like the what we're questioning here is whether or not problems exist for pregnant moms. And if there are other solutions that make more sense in one state versus another, one county versus another, one home versus another, then mm -hmm. that's cool. Let's find what works for the people. This is something that, that we talk about um, during our outreach all the time, that whenever somebody throws in my face, like, well, what are you going to do for that person in this situation? Well, I don't have a cookie cutter what I'm going to do for them because it depends on them. Right. I don't want to give them a, a um, cookie cutter. Well, you're you're 18 years old. So clearly here's the box of stuff that you need. Right. Go have an easy life kind of thing. Like that's not the solution. So sure, this might look slightly differently in different places, but but that makes a ton of sense. Yeah. It also I'll, I'll also add I love everything you just said there. And I love like this kind of like idea that's kind of like like, look, if if nothing else, can we agree on the child support thing? Like, can you join us like on that? Maybe you're not into the Mitt Romney thing, but you're into like that thing, like whatever. But there's also, and we did say, uh, make this clear in, in the statement, is that certain states are going to have a higher capacity for the kind of financial support that we're talking about than others. And we want to be understanding, like, like there, there could be, you know, a group of people in this one area that are like, we would really love to do this, but we've been so hit, you know, economically because of COVID and we're still trying to get the workforce back and like all these different things going on. Like we would like to do this as soon as we can, but we can't get like, or maybe we can only do part of it now. And like, uh, we are very understanding of that. It's more like, can we at least be more open to the possibilities that fall within this area that for a lot of times, I think conservatives just kind of feel like if it feels like welfare, let's be opposed. And I've been kind of in a slowly, just more and more different place as, as, I mean, economically, things are changing. The, 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 the way that AI uh, is, is kind of entering the workforce is going to radically change um, a lot of things. And it's going to, I think, force us to reconsider what kinds of programs we've been, we, we ought to be for and we ought to be against.
Yeah. Yeah. And, and maybe this doesn't look like an omnibus bill that puts all six of them and it's a vote yeah. yes or no. Maybe it's going to be a matter of like, this is one that we can get through really quickly and it's going to have hopefully a, a punch above its weight kind of impact. Okay. That, that was helped bridge the gap in this capacity. What's the next one that we're going to bite off? I, I think it's brilliant. Um, the, the only thing that, so I, I'm going to throw this out there, Maddie, you might cut this out. Um, if, if this is a red herring, cause I'm sure that we could talk about this forever as well, Josh. Um, one of the big axes that I grind while in outreach doing trainings and whatnot is how messed up the legal system is pertaining to sexual assault Yes, and how bonkers it is that, uh, a micro fraction of people who are victims of sexual assault end up ever prosecuting the perpetrators because of how messed up the situation is and how public mm -hmm. everything goes and all that kind of thing. Um, I know that that probably doesn't make sense to put into a document like that. But when I read this the first time, I was like, oh, I wish that tied to that enforcing existing pre uh, prenatal child support. Um, I wish there was a way to build in like enforcing or, or improving sexual assault. Um, like response, legal system response. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really interesting thought. Uh, and I mean, so obviously, I mean, you and I have a lot of agreement there, right? Um, I've, I've been speaking publicly about that. In fact, I, I was actually in Canada the first time I did it. I was on my way uh, to Canada for this little speaking tour thing I did at like a whole bunch of like Catholic schools and, and some other events. And that was the when the first news broke that there were all these police stations in America with sometimes hundreds and hundreds of untested rape kits. And I was talking about it like the next day, like this, like, this is crazy. Um, the fact that at that point, like the main point of the news story was not just that this was happening, but it was that the police stations are now having an ethical debate internally over whether or not to inform the survivors from years and years prior who were willing to have this evidence collected, which is not a comfortable you know, procedure um, in order for hopefully some kind of justice to happen and for it to sit and actually like go stale on a shelf. Like, like a lot of that evidence is just like, it's is not there anymore, basically. It, it doesn't last forever. Um, so like th that is an area where I think basically everyone should be able to agree. But going back to the more general, so like I, I've even said a thing a, a lot of times that now I feel like I need to do more research on or hear from experts on. And so, again, you know, Maddie can, can choose whether or not to include this. But I've, I've been here. I've, I've had a few experts on the topic of like, so the, the, I think a lot of I think the stat usually thrown is like three percent of, of sexual assaults are, are, are either prosecuted or the person actually goes to jail. I'm not sure which, 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 which one of those it is. Maybe it's just that, maybe it's that they're convicted or only prosecution happens. And there's really complicated reasons for that. Um, and I'll name one and then just say, I know that there are others that I don't know, which is kind of the bigger point. But just one, I was actually reading about this, uh, maybe it was this last weekend, because <laughs> that's how fun I am. Uh, it's just like, this discussion showed up on Reddit. I was like, oh, I'm interested in that topic. And it's just one of the hardest kinds of crimes to prove. It is really, really hard to prove that sexual assault happened uh, because the kind of evidence that is sometimes left even after a very violent um, uh, rape, that can also happen consensually. And so then it, a lot of times it becomes this he said, she said uh, thing and becomes really, really hard as opposed to like, 
you know, a financial crime where you can like trace the money. Like you can kind of like, here's like in black and white. So I know that's part of it. And I know that part of it is because understandably a lot of survivors don't want to have to face this person in court and even be in the same room with them. Um, and, and some people have been like, well, maybe we should throw that thing out. And it's like, I don't know. I don't know if we want to throw out the, the you need to face your accuser thing. And so all that being said, I remember I, I, I had, so there's some mental health expert, a friend of mine who said, I would love to tell you about like some of the things I've been learning about how complicated that is. And I still haven't had that conversation. So there's a lot I don't know about that. Um, but, and that's why I, it's not like it came up as an idea, but if it had, we probably would have gotten stuck because it's like, yeah, but how much do we not know about that? And it just kind of goes out a, a bit outside of the economic side of it, which is what we were trying to focus on. But it's it's not a crazy idea either. It it, it wouldn't have been super weird to, to have that on the list. And I think people should be talking about it, learning about it, and anything that we can do that will actually be helpful to survivors and not just something that we think will be helpful to survivors if we actually have good reason to know from experts on the topic. And we are not that. But if we know from experts, like, here are some things that actually would be really, really helpful. I want to throw all of my weight behind that and let's support that too, whether or not it's in this particular joint statement. Yeah, and and that's very illuminating. Not not only in in the the difficulty in that, like you said, but also the the process of of how you kind of whittle down towards what should get included, and what um, should not, based on a, a myriad of different factors. So I, I think that's really really well said, as always, Josh. Thank you, appreciate that. Um, <laughs> Thanks. So so here we are. This is this is has exhausted my list of of things that I wanted to pick your brain on with regards to um, the joint statement. Is there anything that I'm missing? Is there anything that, like, oh, Cam, if if you knew what you were talking about, you would be asking me this question, or people need to know need to know more about this area. And and if you're happy with with what we've covered, then then maybe a little bit about what's coming down the tube for you at, at ERI beyond trying to hire another administrator. Yeah, I I think you asked all the good questions. If you hadn't, I, I knew I wanted to talk about that kind of whole life, consistent life ethic thing, if nothing else, just to be able to kind of, here's some common ground and some reasons to be charitable to, to some of the people that, that didn't sign. I think there's a lot of like, that. that's complicated. Um, so if you hadn't asked about that, I was going to bring that up. But no, I think you basically covered it because as always, you ask really, really good questions. And I don't, I, I, can't, I, I, can't, I can't make it back. I would say for people who want to learn more about it, if you want to read the people who signed it, um, and if you want to sign it yourself, um, it's at postrofuture.com. And even if you're not a pro-life leader, so, you know, the, the behind the scenes, this process, like we finished the draft of the joint statement, I don't know, I want to say maybe around September or something like that in, in 2022. Like there was months of us sending it out to lots and lots of different pro-life leaders because we wanted to get as many people of those, we wanted as many of them to sign it as possible. So then we could go to somewhere big and publish it. And we ultimately did. We published it uh, the, the day of the March for Life in the New York Times. And then uh, Jonathan was publishing opinion articles everywhere. He got published, I think, in like Newsweek and a couple of other places, uh, maybe the American Conservative or something like that. There's, there's links on the website to, 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 to uh, some really good articles that kind of go deeper on some of these things. Um, but, we are, but at this point, we're past that kind of phase one uh, and any pro-life person, uh, we would love to have uh, sign it. Um, and so people can do that at postrofuture.com. As far as what's coming down the pike for, for us, uh, so we're working really hard on this Equip for Life Academy thing. It's, it's kind of, a, 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 you know, it's a pro-life apologetic sort of online course. But unlike the past courses we've made, this is actually designed for a mixed audience. 
Um, it is designed for uh, religious uh, high schools more than anything else, where you and I both know there are a lot of pro-choice people sitting in those. I mean, it, it is. I've said this multiple times, and it's just hilarious to me. You know, you you wonderful Canadians have this like there, there there's a uh, you have a reputation for how nice you are, and and I've sometimes joked about how my two by far worst audiences that I've ever had were. <laughs> Canadian Catholic high schools. Like, there's something about Canadian Catholic high school girls sometimes that just, boy, they really don't like certain kinds of uh, at least male pro-life leaders. Anyway, so there's, so, uh, uh, where was I going? Sorry. Okay. So cut, because I, I lost my train of thought. Um, oh, Cook for Life Academy. Okay. So given that, like, obviously there is a mixed audience in, in, in high schools. And so, that means that affects the way that we're writing this. We're trying to make it as persuasive and helpful as possible for both pro-life and pro-choice people. Uh, we're trying to show like, hey, we're taking the pro-choice arguments as seriously as possible. You are not going to feel strawmanned in this. Like, we're going to try to like help you think about all this stuff more, more clearly. Um, and, there's, and, and there's not a lot like that out there. And so we're really excited about that. I don't know when it is going to come out. Every time since ERI began that we've worked on a big project, I have uh, underestimated how long it would take to the point that now it's just a really frustrating thing. So don't ask me how long it's going to take. It'll be done as soon as possible. It's kind of a like uh, our publishing schedule in general is pretty wonky because of how much work we are putting into this. But it is so much work um, because it's, we're trying to make it nicer than anything that we've made before. And it's a lot more involved um, in creating high school curriculum uh, than just like kind of like a ad hoc, you know, college student course, like, like the first Equip for Life course uh, was. So that's kind of the main thing that we're working on. Uh, we've got a bunch of, you know, podcasts that are, that are filmed that we're going to be uh, putting out. I've still got a podcast I recorded with you a long time ago that was so evergreen that is kept on getting like knocked down the, the ladder, but I still have it. It's still coming out. It was a wonderful conversation. Um, just, uh, we, I've just recorded a bunch of things that are kind of more like, uh, uh, time sensitive. So obviously that that's going on. Um, we've got updates to the Equip for Life course, uh, that, that we're planning on, on, on making as well. Um, and so, yeah, there's, there's things coming down the pike. And if people aren't on our email list, um, I, we've had a lot of, I'll just say this. I know people don't want to be on more email lists and I, and I understand it. Um, and so know that we've had a lot of people say, I'm on almost no pro-life email list except yours. And we kind of joke like, look, this is not where we're going to ask you for money, you know, every other day. We are on those lists too. That's super annoying. We don't do that. Like it's mainly, we just want to be serving people. And so if you at least wanted us to know when the latest article or video or podcast came out that hopefully could actually help you in real dialogues, uh, then you want to be on our email list. You can find at equalrightsinstitute.com. Absolutely. I'll drop um, drop notes on all of those items into the show notes. And I, I will attest to the fact that the emails are very good. As I'm sure you can imagine as a pro-life leader, I, I get signed up for a lot of different uh, mailing lists because I'm interacting. I'm like, oh, might as well throw him on the mailing list so that he stays in the loop. The ERI ones, not only are they meaningful and well done and well laid out, but also they're not crazy frequent or anything like that. Like they're frequent enough that I'm not surprised that I get them, but also they're not like, oh my goodness, the daily... Um, I, I won't throw out um, any pro-life organizations that do them daily, but there are a few to. out there that send them out daily. Um, <laughs> ERI is not one of those. So please do sign up for for the mailing list there. Josh, thank you. Coming from a pro-life leader like you. <laughs> 
Well, thank you a ton for taking the time to join me. It's always a blast to chat with you on the show and and before and after the show as well that I, I love as well. But thanks a ton for taking the time to put together such an important document and and to unpack it for our listeners here. Right back at you. You you are one of those people that are high up on my list when I hear of someone that wants to have me back on a thing. I'm like, yes, it's Cam because you ask the best questions and it's just easy and fun. And I feel like I could talk to you all day every day we i mean we that's what we should do we, like if, if cam we could save the entire we could solve everything if we just talked for like probably three days let's make that happen oh, anyway, oh, but no, oh, man. it's so great talking to you as always uh jonathan uh, deserves a lot of kudos for uh some really wonderful writing touches that he put um on on the joint statement of the articles that he's written and it was just a joy uh to be able to to work with him yet again on a thing because a long time ago he and I didn't have a, a lot in common as far as we knew. And now we've gotten to do a bunch of things together. And I'm, and that's what I want for the pro-life mm. movement. That is that kind of thing where we don't have to agree on every single tactic or whatever, but can we come together and, uh, you know, that whole iron sharpens iron that feels cliche at this point, like that really happened in here. And so um, you guys are, are lucky to, to be uh, working with them. So thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right, folks, that's my conversation with Josh Brom. You know him, you love him. He's the, the executive director, founder, president. I, I don't know his exact title at Equal Rights Institute. He's an absolute gem of a man. He's an incredible leader. He's an incredible pro-lifer. Um, I love every conversation that I have with him. And I hope that you appreciated it as well. I hope that gives a little bit of context behind this um, joint statement. I hope that it gives a better degree of understanding. And if you find yourself kind of in one of those peripheral areas, maybe this goes too far, maybe this doesn't go far enough, please don't hesitate to reach out to either myself or Josh um, for questions about it. Um, and if it is something that you think is important, please do share it around. Like I mentioned, I'll drop um, in the show notes below a link to the joint statement in its entirety, along with the list of people who have already signed on to it, a, a small number of people who've signed on to it already. They don't post all of the names publicly at this point, um, but please do check that out. Check out some of the information um, about Equal Rights Institute. Um, and if you're looking for a job as an administrator, um, I'm sure that Josh would um, appreciate all any and all applications that came in. Hopefully that works out. So um, that's all for me. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope that um, you've enjoyed this episode. May God bless you abundantly wherever you're at, however many hours are left in your day. Mm -hmm.